transforming musical linguistic objects. Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. Well, it's good to get back here with all of you in the salon today. You'll have to take my word on this, at least for the time being, but this is quite an interesting group of people who join us here each week. Some of the emails I've uh, been receiving lately have really impressed me with the quality of the ideas you guys are kicking around. There's hardly a day that I don't want to put aside everything I've got planned and spend my time exchanging emails, but I'd already be out of time on most days. So here's what I'm doing. Slowly but surely, I'm building a wiki for us to use here in the Psychedelic Salon. I can't promise when it'll be ready, but I'm planning to have it open soon after this year's Burning Man Fest. Ah, yes, the burn. My guess is that I'll see some of you there this year. As you most likely know already, this year the Blanque Norte lectures will be held in Entheon Village, which will also be MAPS's home this year. And I hope to have our lecture series in final enough form to post on the web by the end of June. And I think you're really going to like our speakers bill this year. Not only will some of our original speakers like Eric Davis and Daniel Pinchbeck be there, we'll also have some of our esteemed elders there as well. So stay tuned. Or do I say stay downloaded? <laughs> Let's just say stay connected and I'll keep you updated as the schedule takes its final form. And speaking of Burning Man, today I'm going to dig down into our archive and play the talk that Raphael Eisner gave at the very first Planque Norte lecture series at Burning Man. It was in 2003 and Raphael was our second speaker. As I recall, the audience had to wear breathing masks during part of this presentation because one of those nasty little Playa dust storms swept over us for a while. Raphael, as many of you already know, founded the Rosetta Method School of Thought to teach and develop his novel philosophical blend of science, mysticism, psychology, health, what else, urban shamanism, empowerment, and a whole bag of magic spells thrown in just for good measure. As you'll hear, Raphael believes that each of us are multidimensional mystical creatures, gods, goddesses, and deities, as well as physical beings. In fact, he sees all of us as embodiments of Gaia, placed here on Earth to enjoy the gift of life. But he can tell you all of this much better than I can, so let's take a listen to a somewhat rough-edged recording of Raphael's 2003 Burning Man lecture, which he titled, Psychedeology, a Novel Paradigm of Self. Mastering the Power of Belief. I just want to jump in, all right? Uh, we're believers. We are, we're naturally believers. We do it naturally. Has anyone read uh, The Road Less Traveled by John Peck? Totally. Scott Peck. Excellent book. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. One of the things that he describes in, in, in really good detail is um, when a baby is born, a baby is, well, the baby's connected to everything. Uh, spiritually, emotionally, the baby believes it's connected even physically. The baby can't distinguish between self and non-self, an infant. And one of the things you notice is that children do something like this. Really what we believe is that they're realizing that they're separate from the rest of the room and, and they're seeing what their boundaries are, their physical boundaries, and, and becoming really individuals. And it's through, through experience that they learn that 
Well, we are we are separate now. We can argue about how connected we are all, but physically, as an organism, I'm separate. I'm separate from all of you, right? The things that we believe are things that we learn, as I said, either through experiences that we have, or things that we see, or things that we hear, what we're told, and we tend to believe those things until we have an experience or we meet someone that we consider a higher authority, like uh, someone who could be a PhD or a doctor or uh, a known guru or maybe someone you really admire, and then they can help change those belief systems. And of course, you can do this on your own. You can reinvent your belief systems, which I think uh, this is what what this is about, what this talk is about, and what this experience of Burning Man, particularly this one, is about. Uh, I have a couple of questions for you guys. When you were children, when you were babies, when you were small kids, how many of you believed that you were like superheroes? Like, how many of you were Superman or Batman or Spider-Man or, or Supergirl? Or, uh, you know, I, I believed I was Tarzan. You know, and then I believed I was Superman. And then I heard the story about um, about Jesus Christ, and I believe that was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. I don't know if anybody else would believe something like that, or you believe that you were the reincarnation of Buddha, or that at some time maybe you were one of the Norse gods, or 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 something like that. And and I think I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a reason why we believe these things, and that they are they're critical to the way that we that we are in our formation, because there are the things that you believe in your conscious mind, in your aware mind. And then there's a whole set of beliefs and myths that, that run deep inside the subconscious mind. And those are the ones that, to a very large extent, control the lives that we have and are responsible for why we do the things that we do. Uh, these beliefs can be empowering, and, um, and sometimes we try to change them. For example, uh, for me, Finding a new system of belief is a way of empowering yourself. I think it's why people turn to astrology or the Mayan calendar, something that maybe has, maybe resonates better with them than the, you know, the Judeo-Christian belief systems that we have, at least in, mostly in this culture, or other belief systems that some things just don't sound right. I believe that these belief systems, these these myths, these stories, go back thousands and thousands of years, and they, they've become deeply ingrained in who we are, and that they limit us terribly. They limit us emotionally, they limit us spiritually, uh, they, they limit us physically, especially as far as our health is concerned, and they also limit us psychologically. I'd like to talk about, about that, about some of my personal experiences in discovering this, but then I want to jump into what I've discovered are the ways to break out of this, to actually master your own belief systems. And you can create your own belief system taking into account the ones that already exist in our established society, because we are a part of our established society. So let's let's start emotionally. We are taught, I was taught to believe that you need to find someone else, you find love in someone else, that and, and that that's what you need to be happy. That but not that you necessarily find it within yourself. You know, that's that's what we're taught. Um, I was actually taught by my mother, I had this epiphany, this aha moment um, in, a, in a deep journey where I was actually trying to discover why I am the way that I am emotionally. And I, I remembered, I remembered as a baby my mother saying to me, you are my heart, you're my love. And while that's a very beautiful thing to say to a child and with all the best intentions, the way that I interpret it as a child, now imagine being a child and someone saying to you, you are my heart. And then saying it to your, to your siblings and saying it to other people. What I learned in that moment really deeply in my subconscious is that your heart is not within you, your heart is in other people.
And if you tie that in with all the love stories, the songs, the movies in our culture, you give your heart away, your heart gets broken. And, and this is something that, even though we talk about it, and, and we know, at least I hope we know how ridiculous it is, in deep in your subconscious, deep in your psyche, um, if you still believe that, well, you're going to have you're going to have problems because you are going to give away your heart. You're not going to believe that you can just be the own, you know, the source of love, of your own love. You, you've seen all the movies and you've read all the books and you have your own stories, right? Always looking for the love from the outside. Um, and actually, there's there's exercises that I just recently learned um, on how to reclaim that, how to reclaim your heart, because. What a very dear, a dear friend, shaman and wise man, um, Dr. Richard Cohen said to me once, he said, you know, it's a myth that you're supposed to give out your heart. It's a myth that your heart is infinite. Your heart has limitations. Your heart is yours. You keep your heart to yourself, but love is infinite. And the heart is just either the conduit or the source or any way you want to imagine um, what's going on with that. But you keep that to yourself and then you can give an infinite amount of love. One of the myths that I discovered that had just the impact it's had on my life was was learning the why that I had been taught that for me, and I think it's for all of us, that you're only supposed to be in love with one person at a time. And it was also in a journey that I discovered that I was still in love with every single person I've ever been in love with, and that I was just denying it because, yes, you are in love, but there's somewhere there's a little valve that you can shut off and stop flowing love in this direction or in that direction, but that doesn't mean that you're not in love, you're just choking it. And what I realized was that part of the problems I was having in relationships was that by shutting off, you know, in dozens of different places, that I was I was reducing the net amount of love that can flow through me. So I committed to just being in love. And that doesn't mean that someone has to be in love back. You can just be in love. And it doesn't mean that you have to have sex with a person or make love to them. You can make love to someone in a million ways. I mean, just think of how many different ways you'll make love to people here on the planet. Or how you make love, make love with your pets or with the people that you really care about. Not sex, hopefully. But, um, but making love. Spiritually. We, we're taught to believe that we need to find sources outside of us. We need to go to preachers and ministers, that we need to have gurus, that, that we need to have people to guide us spiritually when I, I believe and I am fully, I would love to help empower everybody on this planet to realize that you have all of that within you. You have the source to love within you. You have the source to be your own spiritual guide. That it's good to find other people who are good spiritual guides to themselves and, and trade tools with them. How do you do this? But to expect that someone is going to heal you spiritually, to me, is absolutely ridiculous. And it's actually very harmful because I don't think it's possible. I think that you heal yourself. I don't think someone else can heal you. And depending on someone else is, is not very empowering. Now, physically, health-wise, we're taught that every time you get sick, it's one little thing or another that you need to go see a doctor or you need to see a healer. Yeah, if I break my bone, I want a doctor to set it. But if I have chronic problems, I need to find out what's going on in my body. I need to have a good conversation with my body and figure out maybe it's in my diet, maybe it's in my lifestyle, maybe, it's, maybe there's a lot of other factors involved that someone else might not be able to cure. That's why there's so many diseases that, that, can't, that nobody knows the source of. If there's a disease that nobody knows the source of, you can pretty much bet that you could probably resolve it within yourself. So there are ways of empowering yourself to do that as well. And, and psychologically, well, I think that just about everything that's fed to us at the psychology level is lacking. 
I don't think it works. And, and I think the evidence for what I'm saying is, and if you just look at our society, we are psychologically and emotionally a mess. I think there's more than 50 million people in this country on uh, prescription antidepressants. Um, spiritually, I think that we're mostly bankrupt. As a society, we're, we're spiritually bankrupt. And um, at the physical level, the amount of disease is ridiculous. Yes, we have longer lifespans and, and a higher quality of life, but we also have so many diseases that I believe are fully preventable. I think it's a myth that you actually need to get sick. The body is designed to heal. If you cut yourself, you're going to heal. You don't have to tell it to heal. It's just going to heal. But if you keep rubbing that wound, it's never going to heal. And I believe that that goes for every single different aspect of your life, be it emotional or spiritual or psychological um, or physical. If you're not eating right, you're not going to heal. If you're not paying attention to what's going on in your body, uh, and you're not lowering stress, you're, you're not going to get rid of those headaches. Okay? So, I'd like to propose an alternative, a, a new school of thought, a, a novel paradigm of self, one that can allow you to address these issues and really dive into your subconscious because I think that's that's the last frontier, that's the final frontier of, um, of what needs to really be discovered and understood. There's a, there's a story that, um, I, I, at this moment, I don't remember who actually wrote it in the book, but it's quoted um, that uh, God was looking for a place to to put all his secrets. And he thought, well, I'll put them on the moon. And then he thought, well, someday man will be able to make it to the moon, and I'm not sure that the man who finds these secrets will be worthy of them, or will know what to do with them. So he thought, well, I'll, I'll hide them in the deepest parts of the ocean. And then he thought, well, one day man will make it to the bottom of the ocean, and and I don't know if that person will be worthy of those secrets. So, ultimately he decided, I know, I'll bury it deep inside man's mind. That way only those who are worthy and who, who seek it can actually find the secrets. And this was actually quoted to the author who put it on paper and printed it by an ice cream vendor in the Peruvian Amazon, and it's an old shamanic story. Okay, so how do we figure this out? Well, for starters, I, I'd like to propose something that's... Uh, a little bit radical. Um, what if, what if the way that we are taught to believe who we are, ourself, is inaccurate? What if it's wrong? What if it's completely wrong? What if there's a different way that you could look at yourself that would allow you to empower yourself to be full of love, be emotionally happy, grounded, and stable, and to do this as well spiritually, physically, and, uh, and psychologically? I like to propose a different model. The model for the self that I want to propose um, runs parallel to the model for the actual body. The way that we develop physiologically is that you have a sperm and an egg that join and create one cell, and that, that cell is you. And that cell, which is about the size of the teeniest little dot that you could put with a pencil on a, a sharp pencil on a piece of paper, is going to divide, and it's going to divide into about 100 trillion cells, which is going to determine you physically. But those 100 trillion cells are all different, are mostly different, and they're specialized. How does it start? You have one cell that divides into two, those two divide into four, into eight, into 16. At some point, they have to differentiate, they have to be different from each other. And they do so by recognizing their external environment, the, the stimulus, the input that comes from the outside and, re and responding to it. Okay, is that better? All right, and uh, the process is very simple at a cellular level. You've got a big ball of cells. Some of them are inside and they're touching all their corners are touching other cells, and some are on the outside, and they make kind of like a membrane around that. 
So they're different. And they have to express themselves differently. And these keep dividing and folding and dividing, and they create every single cell in your body, your skin, your blood, your muscles, your nervous system, your organs, everything. You get the idea, right? But every single one of those cells is you. Every single one of those cells has your DNA. Every single one of those cells could potentially be cloned into another physical you. But they all have to work together, and they all communicate with each other. And, and when they're not communicating properly, that's where disease happens. I propose a very similar model for the differentiation of the self supposed to sell. Um, I believe that when we're at some point in our development, we are you know, infused with the essence of who we are. And that essence needs to specialize to do a couple of things. Um, first, run the body. And second, well, just be, be who we are. When, when we receive stimulus, we learn to respond to that stimulus. And we're designed to be as efficient as possible. We want to live, we want to survive. And not only that, we want to feel pleasure. Our bodies are designed to feel pleasure. We, we're so wired into feeling pleasure that it's actually pleasurable to be pleasurable to someone else. You know, if, if you do something nice to someone else, you, you get pleasure from it. And pain is just to tell you that you're going in the wrong direction. At least I believe this. You take a a baby that's just a newborn baby, and, and the baby for the first time feels something in its stomach, and it doesn't know what it's feeling, and then it starts to get uncomfortable, and it starts to hurt. It does the only thing it can do at that moment, uh, giving it its abilities, and it cries. And hopefully at that point, the baby is picked up, nourished, given milk, and the baby creates its first word, or one of the first words, which is association, a symbolic association between pain in the stomach, low blood sugar, whatever it is that it's feeling, and making a sound, and then receiving nurturing. Um, and the baby is talked to, the baby is counted to, the baby is given um, different colors and mobiles and different things to look at, and our brain differentiates, compartmentalizes into um, specializing and responding to that. So you talk to a baby and you go, ma, 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 and the baby's going to copy it and learn it. And you count, you count and you go one, two, three, and it's a different part of the mind that's learning numbers. And you can take a baby and you can a small child, you can sit it in front of a piece of paper and give it some crayons and put it in its hand and teach it how to, you know, make something. And then you can praise the baby and you can put it up on your refrigerator and you can actually help empower a part of that child, an aspect of that child that could one day become a fantastic artist. Could be an incredible artist. Or someone who, for themselves, is just an artist and expresses themselves. And we do that musically, we do it mathematically, we do it, well, with just about every aspect of our lives. We also do it emotionally and we do it psychologically. These aspects of who we are develop throughout our, our entire life if we stimulate them. If you stop stimulating them, then that part of you kind of stays at that space. So if you only, you know, drew until the age of five and then something happened and you never did it again, well, when you pick up a crayon, you're pretty much going to draw like a five-year-old, right? Just like anything that you do. You, you don't just become an artist. You don't just a professional athlete. you got to learn how to catch the ball. If no one ever throws a ball at you, you can be 30 years old, someone throws a ball at you, you don't know what to do with it. At the same time, though, I believe in, in just about every one of us, we have negative stimulus. And we have negative stimulus that we have to respond to. And that negative stimulus can be, well, it's just a product of, of just ignorance and bad, and bad parenting. There's no books and manuals, really, right? You can just, anyone can have a baby. But um, we also believe certain things. We believe that punishment is necessary. You guys know how old that goes, how far that goes back? Remember Hammurabi, Hammurabi's code? 
that's um, what 1700 BC or something like that. So we're talking 3800 years ago. There was just so much mess. You know, the world was such a difficult place that someone had to organize it, and people were just taking and doing things. And someone set down a code. He said, "An eye for an eye." He said, "Oh God." He said, "An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth." And we kind of do that. As a matter of fact, he said, "You know, if you take the eye of your neighbor's cow, you must uh, give him some money for it." Right? And, and th this is how we deal with punishment. Because I think that you can actually get through to people. And I think communication, once, once we learn communication, if people were safe, if we created a world where everybody was safe, and by birthright you would just have you know, a, a cup of rice and beans and a fruit, maybe a can of tuna or something, the world would be a very different place. And, and punishment maybe wouldn't be as necessary. Yeah, and the other thing is that it's not too late. I mean, we've needed everything that we've, everything that's happened, including all the wars and all the horrible things, have helped us get to where we are. The thing is, what can we do from now on that needs to change? But back to all these different aspects that are specialized in who you are. See, I believe that every one of those is not only a part of you, but it actually is you. All the voices in your head, all the emotions, all the feelings, they're all you, but they're all slightly different aspects of you, specialized in dealing with different types of environments. Um, and there are like predominant aspects. Like there is, there's me, there's Raphael, the person who's talking to you right now. But within me, there's all the different archetypes as well. Uh, you know, the inner child, uh, there's all sorts of different uh, emotional beings within me as well. But if I ask you right now, what's 12 squared? Alright, so let's just, I asked you for a reason, I'll get, I'll get back to that in a second. So imagine a bus, and in this bus there's a driver's seat. In the driver's seat, and the bus is you, and in the driver's seat is the predominant you person who's here right now listening, the person who basically controls your life, who drives the bus of your life, right? Think of all the seats behind there. And in the seats closest to the bus driver are the different aspects of who you are that are empowered to do different things. And as you go deeper, you go further back, you go deeper into your subconscious. Now, when I asked you what, what 12 squared was, I think that just about everyone in here needed to stop and think for a second and kind of like switch gears, right? And what I believe is happening is that the you that is sitting at the driver's seat right now in full awareness gets a question that it can't answer. So it says to the, the math one, the mathematician within you, which may have different levels of development, but still there's a mathematician with you, says, hey, you answer that question. So the mathematician needs to get into the driver's seat because the driver's seat isn't just this physical being, but it's also control of the brain and the mind. And, and the brain is the most amazing computer in the, in the universe. There's, no, there's nothing that we know of that's more sophisticated than the human brain. Well, there may be other animal brains that are more sophisticated, but at least in our understanding. And the you that was sitting here had to actually step aside for a second and go into the space of, let's answer math questions. And if I'd asked more math questions, you would have kept answering that. But because I got back into talking, the mathematician and you went back into the back seat. And within you, there are inner artists, uh, inner you know, painters and musicians and mathematicians and lawyers and doctors and every single profession, every hobby that you have is a different specialized you. Within that space is also all the yous that are, well, that develop because of negative stimulus. So imagine a child that gets yelled at a lot as a child, or gets hit, or, or God forbid is, is beaten or abused or raped, uh, which is something that happens way too much in, in our society. And this happens consistently. Well, there's a part of you that's developed, that, that has developed to respond to this type of stimulus, and to respond in whichever way it's going to survive the best. Now, in my own personal experience, 
when I was about six months old, and this is something that through a regression I actually believe that I remember, that I've relived. Um, I was crying, I was kind of sick, my father didn't know what to do, he's a very angry man, and frustrated, tried to get me to shut up, and I couldn't shut up. So at one point I got picked up, shaken, put back down, and I got yelled at. And for a newborn baby, for a six-month-old baby, imagine being screamed at to shut up. It's, it's a very startling thing. As a matter of fact, I probably believed at that moment that I was going to die. Remember that? Yes. Yes. Through regression therapy. Okay. And whether I remember it or not, I believe it. And it has given me a tool, a key to deal with issues. Because a couple of years ago, if someone would have started screaming at me, and I associated that in any way with an authoritarian figure that I believed could be damaging, the little baby that's way, way in the back of the bus would get up, run up the aisle, knock aside the, the, the normally gentle Raphael who's sitting right here, grab the steering wheel, hit the gas, and try to run you over and use any tool that I have to do that. And that could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be psychological. I'm going to defend myself because I'm perceiving a threat. But I'm going to defend myself with the mentality, with the psyche of a small child. Okay? Because I was only yelled at until the age of four when my parents divorced. And then I wasn't yelled at anymore. So, there's a part of me that responds to negative stimulus as a child. Imagine if you could get to know all these different aspects of who you are. And these are just the psychological, emotional ones. We still, I still want to get into the spiritual and physical, and the physical ones. Those are very, very important, especially the spiritual ones in, con in content of where we are and why we're having this talk. But imagine being able to get to know all the different aspects of who you are and empowering them to, well, recognize them as, as you. As, as being what I think we really are, which is multidimensional, very, very, you know, rich, deep individuals with many different abilities and with, of course, many different limitations that need to be overcome. There's a part of me as a child that believes in punishment. I really don't believe in punishment anymore. I don't think it's necessary. The way to do this is to call on those different aspects of who you are and allow them, ask them consciously to take the wheel. And when they're seated at the wheel, you can have a conversation with them. Imagine being able to have a conversation with your, with your inner selves that is as clear as any dialogue you can have with someone outside of you. And to ask their questions, like for example, why do I always react this way? Why do I always you know, end up in these types of relationships? Why do I always, um, I don't know, limit myself? Or, or why, why is it that I, I just can't meet deadlines? Or, or any of these things. And to get an answer. Because if you have a team, let's say, imagine a, a soccer team, and the players don't know each other, and all they know is they need to do is they just need to kick the ball in whatever direction they're going, and then you have one coach or a captain that's screaming, going, no, that way, that's the way you got to go. And I believe that this is something that we do to ourselves. We have arguments. We, we, we even yell at each other. We, we, we insult each other and we're abusive to each other on the inside, to ourselves, I mean, on the inside, because... We're trying to control the ship. We're trying to get the bus to go in a certain direction. And there are parts of us that don't care, have no desire to go in that direction, or are terrified of going in that direction. And if there's a majority of you that doesn't want to go, guess what? I don't think you're going to be able to go. And when there's a majority that wants to go in a certain direction, you can force, you can force yourself to go in a certain direction. But if you're forcing yourself, that's not very empowering. Now imagine knowing all the team players, knowing all their strengths, all their weaknesses, knowing that you can actually complement all your weaknesses with another strength that you have within yourself, empowering yourself to do so, and then saying, okay, what direction do we want to go? Getting a consensus from your inner selves, kind of like a little council meeting, right? And then saying, 
you know what, let's go that way. Everybody, you know, everyone want to go that way? Yes. Who's going to stop you? What's going to stop you? There are, there are times in your life when you've made decisions wholeheartedly. You know exactly what you want to do. You manifest it and you do it. Nothing can hold you back. Well, yeah, I guess a meteor could hit you on the head. But, you know, outside of that, major outside force, there's nothing that you can't do. And I believe that it's not just psychologically and emotionally, but I believe that spiritually and physically it's the same way. At the spiritual level, I believe that there are, we have higher selves. Higher selves that aren't really, well, they don't really follow the physical laws of this universe. Um, because they're not physical beings, they're, they're ethereal beings, they're spiritual beings. And I believe that those different aspects pick and find ways of associating themselves. So, I believe that there are, well, I believe that we all have within us our entire collection of deities, male and female, and, and non-sexual, and that, that are involved in determining who we are. But if you believe that your inner gods, that your association with your, with your inner deities are, are deities that have, well, the basic, typical human qualities. Think of all the Greek and, and um, uh, Roman gods. If, if you do a little soul searching, you may find associations within yourself to some of those, some of those deities, and you'll see some of the limitations they have. What I would like to do is I would like to empower you to consider the fact that you are your own gods and goddesses, and that there is a huge variety of inner beings that don't need to be limited by outside stories. You can create your own belief system. You can create your own mythologies. You can break out of the established mythologies of how we are supposed to interact with each other at an emotional level, at a spiritual level, and I believe also at a physical level. You set your own limitations, okay? Uh, a couple of rules. Here, here are the, the basic rules of tripping, right? Cars are real, fire burns, and gravity is still a law. Okay. Fire burns, cars are real, gravity is still a law. And if you know those three things, you can pretty much go out and do anything else. Even in the most intense psychedelic state, it's okay. Just don't jump off any buildings. Don't play with fire, you know, not carefully, and watch traffic. Everything else is up to you. Isn't your reality really what you make of it? And if your reality is subjective to experiences and limitations and mythologies that you believe because you, well, they were just imprinted into you, you can change, maybe, well, in your mind you can, well, if you can find, well, you've read Douglas Adams, right? You, if you want to fly, if you want to be gravity, all you have to do is jump and forget that you're going to fall. For example, I think you can overcome any disease. I think there's a reason why some people survive terrible cancers and other people don't. And I believe it's a mindset. I believe that if you get that sick in the first time, maybe you haven't been paying attention to little things that your body has been telling you. I'll tell you a story. I had um, a deep medicine journey in Joshua Tree once that um, basically I had a conversation with my body. And I went out and just stretched out, took off my clothes, put on sunscreen, and did yoga for about six hours, and just got in touch with every single one of my muscles and every single part of my body. And what I discovered was is that my body has been trying to communicate things for years that I haven't been listening to. Chronic neck and back problems. Well, my body said things like, well, it's very simple. You pick up a backpack, it's got two straps, but if you're gonna walk 10 feet, you only put it over one shoulder. And I tell you, within five seconds, I go, off balance. 
And you respond, oh, we're almost there. And you do this all day long. Why don't you start listening to what I have to say because I know what I need to do to be healed and healthy and because that's what I'm designed to do. So I started paying attention to little details about posture and about things like that. And guess what? I don't have any more neck and back problems. And so yes, you can change things physically. And, and I think that you can, I don't see no reason why you need to get sick at all. Maybe. Uh, the reason I'd say I don't think so is because I'm a molecular biologist by training. And there are some physical limitations that we have as far as how our cells, you know, divide and differentiate. But, um, you know, we've discovered ways of enhancing ourselves. Like, you know, we were born naked into this world. But look, I'm wearing goggles that are really, really nice. And I'm glad to use them. And I wear clothing and I've got nice shoes. I mean, we, we find ways of making ourselves, empowering ourselves at the physical level to do things that we wouldn't be able normally to do. We can fly, just get in an airplane. Why limit yourself to doing this? You know, this isn't going to get me anywhere, but I can get on a plane. That's not our, our defense mechanisms and our reactionary behavior. We have reactionary behavior. And we end up doing things that sometimes we don't even want to do. A lot of times we don't want to do or acting or saying in ways that we really regret later to a certain extent. And then we rationalize into you know, saying, well, they deserve it. Right? I believe that what's happening is that an aspect of your subconscious that response to that kind of stimulus is basically running up the aisles, knocking aside the, the aware, loving part of who you are and saying, I'm dealing with this situation, I'm in charge. And when that happens, well, the part of you that's you right here, right now, isn't there anymore. I mean, you're, it's still there, but it's kind of like outside of awareness. It's in a lower level of awareness. And the way that you can resolve this is by, there's a way, there, there, there's a series of, of techniques that I've developed in which you can as I said before, have conversations with your subconscious. When you have a conversation with your subconscious, what it allows you to do is, well, it allows that part of you to release whatever it is that it was holding on to. And by releasing it, well, there's a, there's a healing process involved, a tremendous healing, healing process where you no longer have to react anymore because you understand what's going on. And this can be at many different levels. I work, I work with a very dear friend of mine uh, who would have tremendous anxiety attacks. And they were paralyzed her. She, she wasn't able to work. And this is a, a relatively well-adjusted individual who'd you know, gone through college, put herself to university, and, and making good money. But every, something was happening, and she was freezing up. And we did some work together. And this was way at the beginning when I was first developing um, my techniques. She regressed, which is something that happens quite a bit. And she regressed into a little baby. And it was very interesting because she really turned into a seemed like a little baby and she just sat on my lap and, and I just held her and she stayed that way for about 45 minutes and in that 45 minute process because this baby was now in the driver's seat this baby was now seated at the at the terminal at the keyboard of the mind with access to all of its memories and, a pro and processing skills of an adult because whether you like being in school or not in grade school or not what you learn how to do is how to think and those are tools that you you use on a daily basis but your subconscious because it's below your awareness level doesn't have access to those tools. Well, the first thing that she did was, she went like this. She put her thumb in her mouth and she found her teeth. This is a 25-year-old woman who discovered that she had teeth and just the look on her face. She didn't remember having teeth. That part of her had been so deep in her subconscious that when it came up, an adult now, and I just talked to her and she started recognizing language. And in a, within 45 minutes, she went from being a child that couldn't talk to 
yeah. just through the stages of, of linguistic development to an adult, a college-educated adult. And at that point, I was able to ask this baby aspect of my friend, of this person, what's going on? And the baby with full English language said, well, this, 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 and this. And I said to her, can you hold on for a second? Let's call in the bigger, you know, the, the adult, the, the mature. Let's just call her Amy, the mature Amy. And I said, you know, Jamie, did you just hear what happened? And this person had no concept that deep within her was this little baby that didn't know how to talk. And what the baby had been trying to say, because the baby didn't have language, the baby get, said it the only way that it could, which was through anxiety attacks, panic attacks, crying. What a baby does, a baby can't say, my tummy hurts. The baby just goes, wah. And that's what was happening. There was something deeply that needed to be released. Now, this person is someone who suffered a tremendous amount of abuse, physical and sexual abuse as a baby, as a child. And, well, the world is not a safe place. And we live in a world, especially for women, where you are under physical and sexual and emotional threat constantly. And the same for men, but generally more for, generally more for women. And if you have within you, deep in your psyche, aspects that have been exposed to this type of threat in the past, and maybe even hurt, severely traumatized, well, those parts of you are going to be reactionary. Does that make sense? So, the power in, 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 in being able to access these parts of who you are and bring them out and validate them as being a part of who you are is that, well, first you get to release the trauma, and that part of you in your subconscious finally gets the language to be able to say, that sucked, and we're not do that anymore, and you go, yeah, sure, it's okay, baby, it's fine. you don't have to do this anymore. What do you want to do now? And the power that the baby aspect, and you don't discount for a second that your inner children aren't of value to you because children are, well, they're in a different world. They're at the energy level. Children, babies, they can sense energy. They're the ones, it's your inner babies that size someone up from across the block and go, mm, I don't like that person. Or straight, you're drawn towards someone and you're attracted to them. And it's a very primal thing. And if you don't have a communication with that part of you, then you don't know why you're doing things. Why are you so drawn to this type of person? Why are you so you know, repulsed by this other person? And when you, when you finally discover what the source of that is and how it's affected you, you can, you can start over, you can recapitulate. It's kind of like going back in time. And the thing is that regression therapy is not that you have a locked memory of something that happened. It's that within your subconscious, hidden away, there is a part of you, a living being, that has really its own personality. It deals with, he or she deals with um, dealing with a certain type of stress, a certain type of stimulus. Just like the part of you that I ask, you know, what's 10 plus 10, right now is figuring it out and you can't help it, right? Don't think of red balloons. Don't think of red balloons. You can't do it. Because there's a part of you that's going to respond to that and you might even visualize. The key to getting in is finding those triggers. The triggers that actually bring out the different aspects of who you are and put them in the driver's seat. Once you have them in the driver's seat, you can ask them questions. This requires a third party because you need someone like myself to ask the question. But once you've established two or three of them and they get to know each other and you introduce them to each other, you create a round table. And that round table is like the meeting place, the council, and the board of directors, whatever you want to call it. And this is the part of you that controls and directs your life. And every single aspect of who you are that is willing to come into that room, needs to be willing to communicate with all the other ones and give their opinion. So when you reach a crossroads in life, which, I mean, there are minor and major crossroads probably every few minutes in life to make decisions. Some of them are more, more significant than others. 
you can ask yourself, do I want to go this way or this way? Before you do this process, generally, you know, how do you do it? Do you toss a coin? Do you force yourself? Do you wait? Do you miss the opportunity? Or what if you could ask every team player? I don't want to go that way because I'm afraid. But what are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid that this is going to happen. Well, how can we compensate? You know, and you, you resolve it, and then you make a committed, uh, a holistic, of an entire whole you decision to go do something. Once again, what I believe really directs a very large portion of our lives is within our subconscious. For me, I need to get to know. I need to know what's going on. I, I, I have my own control issues. I want to know what's going on. And what I've discovered is that, in the with with the intention of trying to find a better way to control myself to do the things that I want to do and not do the things that I don't want to do, what I've discovered is that if I have a consensus, there's no need for control. You don't need a whip. You, know? you don't need to pull yourself or tie yourself to a certain direction. We have a consensus. We're all going to Burning Man and we're going to build this village. So you do it. And, you know, there's limitations, and, and, but you work them out as a team. And that's, that's really what this place is about. I mean, we, we have created, we have manifested a city out of nothing, you know, dust and space and and lots of wind, and and drive and intention and, and and I believe that this is a perfect place for you to explore the inner aspects of who you are and those aspects, be them very very empowered, your inner gods and goddesses or be they your your inner demons. I think I think that you'll find if you start questioning them and letting them come out and just be and just express themselves that you'll find that even the demons aren't really demons. They're they're just angry hurt gods and goddesses that just don't want to get hurt again. We don't want to get hurt again. I don't want anyone to hurt me anymore. And I can't control that. But what I can do is I can do something within to diffuse my reaction to it. I don't believe that anyone here can actually hurt me. I mean, yeah, you could come up here and hit me, but I don't think that's within any of you to do that. And, and the quicker you start believing that you really are indestructible, that you have your inner healer within you that can take care of you, that you have your inner spiritual guides, that you can, that you have a, a healthy, beautiful body that can feel pleasure to the max without causing pain to anyone else or causing pain to yourself. The quicker you start thinking that way, the better, the better your life is going to get. So that's the basic, basic deal. Well, the, the, question, the question was if um, what are some of, what are some of the techniques to get in touch with yourself. Um, well, one of them is start recognizing that all those different voices, even the ones that just, you know, yell at you, that they're all a part of you. That you are the collection of your experiences, and you are the collection of the different aspects, the different specialized you that did what, that, that have made you who you are. See, I believe that we all have the same structure. I believe that we're all multidimensional this way, that we all have all these different aspects. And what I didn't say that um, I need to say now is that every single one of those aspects that are within you can drive the bus. Every single one of those aspects can take control. Now, for me, I'm a scientist, I'm a teacher, I'm, I'm a chef, I'm a photographer, I'm a mathematician, I'm a lot of different things, and I'm a burner. And I can transition from one to the other really smoothly, but I'm also a hurt child. And that part won't come out unless someone stimulates that part of you. If you start listening to your voices, and start just, rather than considering them demons or, or unfriendlies, start saying, well, what if we just have a little compassion for ourselves? What if there's a part of me that's just really angry because it's confused or it doesn't understand? Or maybe the part of me that is in the awareness that I believe I know everything about myself, that's the greatest myth. 
If you think you know everything about yourself, you've got something coming. How many of you have had experiences where, especially on a medicine, where you've discovered something that happened that you'd completely forgotten about? And that and then once you discovered it, you were able to work it through, it doesn't really need to have that kind of impact in your life anymore. Right? And that your reality was subjected to an experience that was totally fucked up and outside of you. And at least for me, I don't want that. I don't want my reality to be subject subjective to to someone else's anger, someone else's damage. Because then I'm just propagating my own damage. And then I'm creating damage to others. The way I'm going to treat my children, the way I'm going to treat my lovers, the way I'm going to treat my friends and housemates and pets and, and the world that we live in. So, that's one technique. Just start recognizing that the different voices in your head are all you. They have something to say. That's why they're saying it. Another technique is to actually call them out to actually say something. For this, for this you need to be in a special space. You need to feel safe. You need to be with someone who you trust isn't going to hurt you or cross any physical or sexual boundaries with you. And that they're just going to listen. And they'll just call out. If there's a part of you that's really angry, find a close friend and say, explain to them, you know, I want to explore something within myself. I want to explore the anger that I have within myself. Would you just be a mirror, just be a sounding board for me? And recognize that I'm not angry at you, but I have some things I need to say. And just express yourself, get yourself into that mood. Maybe the person can ask you a few questions, especially if they know you. you know, Alright, so let's, let's talk about what so-and-so did to you. How do you feel about that? If you do this to someone else or someone else, well, you'll realize that the person's expression, will, their body language will change too. They go, well, the way I feel about this is like this. And they go, yeah, okay, well, so how would you like to resolve it? How do you want to let go of that anger? And you get into just a pleasant conversation, you'll be amazed at what comes out. And you little by little start to diffuse that. Um, I think the secret, the secret to... Oh, the secret to who we are is really getting to know yourself. Being able to be in harmony with yourself. Having a good relationship with yourself is key. And that's at a physical level, but also at an emotional and psychological and spiritual level. In case you're wondering, that song interlude, You Are Family, <laughs> it wasn't added by me. That was uh, coming from an art car that was driving by at the time. It was just one of those nice little Burning Man synchronicities. Of course, uh, then they decided to park outside our dome and listen to Raphael for a while, and it would have been nice if they'd turned down the volume a little, because the rest of Raphael's talk can't be heard. But that's just the way things go at a burn. I think it was the uh, next day when Eric Davis was giving his talk that somebody drove by with a high-powered water gun and <laughs> scored a direct hit on him. But uh, Eric's a long-time burner and took it right in stride. In fact, <laughs> he finessed it so well that five minutes later I was wondering if it really happened. In fact, uh, there are a lot of things I've seen at Burning Man that I now wonder if they really happened. You can see a few photos of uh, Raphael giving this talk if you go to the MatrixMasters.com website. Just click the Fuente Norte link and click through to the 2003 Burning Man page. If you've been to that page before, you found that this talk you just heard was broken into 10 separate files. And believe me, I've had more than my share of complaints about that. But the problem I had at the time was that I was on a dial-up connection and even those small files were a major pain to upload. 
So those of you on dial-up now, believe me when I say that I greatly appreciate you taking the time to download these podcasts. I feel your pain. But now I've got a better connection to the net, and uh, I thought it's about time to go back and put these files back together and reissue the talk in a little better format. And for those of you who asked me to do this three years ago, well, better late than never, as they say, wherever they are. And eventually I'll even uh, podcast Raphael's talk from last year's burn, which was titled Achieving Conscious and Subconscious Mastery of Your Psyche. For a long time I didn't think we'd been able to capture that talk, but now we've come across a recording that someone in the audience made. And as soon as we get it converted to MP3 format, I'll pass it along to you. Well, I guess that's about it for today. And Raphael, if you're listening, thanks for all of your support of our Blanque Norte lectures at Burning Man. And uh, in case any of you will be at this year's burn, you can catch Raphael's talk on the Wednesday program starting around 5 p.m., just after the uh, panel that John Hanna will be moderating. And that panel, by the way, is titled Harm Reduction to Bolster Hope and Banish Fear. The Future Favors the Prepared. Also, thank you again to Chateau Hayuk for the use of their music, and uh, thank all of you for being with us again here in the Psychedelic Salon. For now, this is Lorenzo, signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends. <laughs>